When you think about a condo, whether it's one you've owned or rented or even just stayed in on an Airbnb, what do you consider must-have amenities? Did you have a gym? Or maybe a pool? Or perhaps a fleet of BMWs or a rock climbing wall? Because those are real things in real condos in Canada. Here's my next question. How much of a difference did those amenities make when you were making your decision on where to rent or buy or stay? And how much did you end up actually using them? The last two decades have seen a condo amenity arms race as new developments go up and developers scramble to outdo one another with luxuries that they hope will seal the deal for prospective buyers. And they definitely do seal the deal for some people. And then some of them get used, and others don't. But what about beyond that condo? What happens to the community pool, for instance, if everyone already has one in their condo that they use instead? The same question for the library, or the dog park, or the running track. These are things that we build so that the entire community has access to them, only for private condo developers to build their own. So is the war for condo amenities changing the shape of the neighborhoods that they're built in? And what happens to the people in those neighborhoods who don't own luxury condos? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Aaron Hutchins is one of our most favorite guests on this podcast, and it's been a while since we spoke to him. Hey, Aaron. Hey there. It's nice to have you back. It's been a while. It has. You guys have ghosted me. Oh, we had a pandemic. Um, But here we are, and uh, as somebody who spent a lot of time in condos um, and has read a lot about the market, I'm excited to talk about this. So why don't you um, just start? This is a really quirky story, Um, and it seems like it's about condo amenities only, um, but there's more to it. What attracted you to this story, and what's at the heart of it? Well, it's interesting, because when you start looking at condo amenities, you could just basically list off a thousand of them. There are so many different ones that you could just go through, spas, massage rooms, uh, different, uh, like a, a gear room where people can fix their bicycles. And you can go through each of them, and each of them you can wonder, would I use that? Would I not use that? And it kind of, uh, they're all neat things to think about. And it makes you think about your own house, your own living quarters, saying, oh, would I want my own meditation uh, salt rock wall? But when you get further into it, it really affects how uh, how the city looks around you. And if uh, if everyone has a pool in their own condo, do we need public pools? If everyone has their own library in the building, do we need public libraries? And what impact does having a dog park in your own condo unit have on dog parks outside uh, in public squares? So as much as we like to talk about all these, these little trinkets of how fun and needed we have these things for ourselves, it's also a reflection of what uh, we prioritize, but also what we prioritize for ourselves as opposed to what we prioritize for uh, sharing with the entire community. And we're going to talk about those trinkets in just a second. But first, you started with a really interesting example, uh, which is a place called Vancouver House. Tell me about it and what makes it unique. Vancouver House is a, a very nice condo out on the uh, the West Coast. It uh, overlooks False Creek. And when you look at the old marketing materials for uh, Vancouver House a few years ago, it had many reasons why you should buy there. 
one of them was residents would get access to a fleet of BMWs. So that's a nice perk. There was a 25 meter uh, heated rooftop pool that was configured in a way that uh, the wind wouldn't really affect you, but the sunshine would still get in. And there was a 24 concierge who was trained to the same standard as uh, the Fairmont Pacific Rim Hotel, which is one of the upper end hotels in the city. But what really struck me was this other perk that didn't help the buyers or residents per se, but was an amenity nonetheless. For every condo unit purchased, they would be funding a home for a poverty-stricken family in Cambodia that lives near a garbage dump. So in effect, you buy a condo unit here, you make a home for someone else abroad. How different is that from, I mean, not only just uh, helping someone abroad, but a fleet of BMWs and et cetera, et cetera. How different is that from what we would traditionally think uh, of as amenities offered with condos? You know, what are the first things that come to your mind? When I lived in a condo, there really was three things before it was, there was a pool, there was a gym, and there might have been some sort of you know business center or a place where you could work. So to have the uh, BMWs at your disposal or to have uh, you know, these concierge that aren't just people manning the front door, but they are you know the highest end, it really speaks to how uh, these, uh, these buildings really have to kind of stand out. Some of that's marketing. Some of that is just uh, what people want, especially at different, uh, at different price points. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's a lot different than just here's a, here's a gym with a, a bicycle and some weights. And uh, it's gotten, in the last few decades especially, they have really gotten quite, uh, quite robust in terms of their amenity offerings. Give me some examples of the stuff that you found, um, you know, not the building homes overseas, but the weight that comes with the condo now. Why? There are so many things that come with it. I've seen spas, massage rooms, swimming pools or running tracks that kind of jet out from the side of buildings so that look you're almost like floating above the city. Uh, I've seen condos with salt rock meditation walls, music studios, race car simulators. Um, part of that is uh, th there's this increase in uh, offerings because one, as condo units themselves get smaller, uh, people have less room in their own home and they want to be able to have more things to do outside their, uh, the confines of their own four walls. So the developers are trying to give them a bit more incentive to, uh, to stay there. And on top of that, as these condo projects just turn into mega, mega projects, they have more people who are living in them. So you can share that cost across way more people and that you know, affords these developers the luxury of just packing in more little treats for people to use. How necessary is this? Because we've reported on um, condo prices in Canada in general before, especially in major cities, and, you know, they're consistently rising, uh, consistently in demand, low vacancy rates. So why do they need these amenities to compete? Well, if you talk to anyone who works in the industry, the most important thing is location and price. Like location, 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 and a price that someone can afford. But when you have 10 condo buildings all within a few blocks of each other, then location really doesn't matter much anymore. Everyone's relatively in the same space. And these companies are all 
pretty good to do in construction units. Like, you know, the materials are all the same. Uh, the engineering is mostly the same. So you're really using the amenities as a, uh, as a differentiator. Part of that is marketing. So it stands out and you can kind of say, oh, look at this, this, uh, this condo. They have this or that. So it's just to get someone in the door. And that, that's kind of what happened with Vancouver House is the funding homes in Cambodia, while it's absolutely you know, altruistic, it also gets people's attention and gets people talking about it. And if people are talking about it, you get prospective buyers in the door. You mentioned that a big part of this is marketing. Do people actually use uh, these amenities once they're installed? And I'm not talking here about like gyms and pools uh, and business space, which fine, but you know, the more quirky ones, do they actually uh, get used by condo owners or is this just a way to get them in the door? Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. And I, I spoke with a lot of people who help fix up condos, maybe 10, 15, sometimes even five years down the road after they've been developed. And they have to completely change the setup in some cases just because some things aren't used. The uh, virtual golf simulator sounds great, looks cool in marketing materials, but really how many people actually would do virtual golf simulators? And from people I've talked to, it's you know, like maybe one in 300 might use a golf simulator. And on top of that, just the damage from the golf ball, if someone you know, shanks, the, uh, shanks the drive, it's going off and knocking up walls. So yeah, that's one thing that people aren't using. Another one, and I remember this one when uh, my spouse and I were looking to buy a place probably about seven or eight years ago, and we saw a condo with uh, indoor rock climbing walls. We thought, oh, that's no, that's interesting. It looks kind of cool on the materials. and But it wasn't something that we were going to use per se. And what I found is a lot of those rock climbing walls were quickly taken down by the, the condo boards once everyone moved in because the insurance costs were so uh, so high just to keep it around. But they said, listen, we, the condo fees are just so exorbitant because of insurance. We're just going to you know, put a caution tape around this thing and say don't use it. And then uh, eventually we'll uh, find, make new use of the space. So those things look great, but in practicality, people don't use them. And even if they wanted to, the insurance costs sometimes are just too high. How is this fixation on amenities uh, different from the way people purchase condos in the past? You know, I went looking at old newspaper archives and uh, I saw this one from the early 1970s for this uh, this place called Toronto's uh, Bransfield House. And you should have seen the ad for it. It was speaking so glowingly about how each suite has soundproof walls, the high quality venting system, and my personal favorite, how each unit has its own utility room for wiring or plumbing. And those were the the top selling advertising points. And then lower down, it said, by the way, we have an indoor pool, a gym, and a billiards table. But you can see how those things were, the amenities were treated as afterthoughts and how the actual living space is what was the selling feature. And I think when you get really excited about amenities and how neat and fun they are, it definitely uh, maybe distracts you a little bit from what it's like to actually live in your unit. What's the lighting like? What's the ventilation like? How was the setup? And even when you get in there, you're, what, it takes away from what it's actually like to live day to day in your own unit, especially now during a time where because of the pandemic, you can't even use your amenities. And these folks who live in condos are actually discovering what is it like to actually live in a condo unit without most of the amenities and 
what are the pros and cons of that? What are the practical amenities that people actually do use that return value? And and does that value translate into an increase in the value of condos in the building? Or is this just window dressing and marketing? I think it really kind of it kind of changes over time. So I, I think gyms are definitely something that is used and always will be used. I think nowadays, especially those old crappy basement gyms that just have a treadmill, a bike, and weights, no one wants those anymore. Now they really have to even add more window dressing to those gyms. They have Pelotons in them or uh, the, the smart mirror where people work out in front of the yoga room. So they really have to kind of really uh, dress up these uh, these gyms. And people use the gyms quite a bit. And other things that people are using, like does it increase value on the condo unit itself? I mean, I guess the, the, it's so tough to tell how much of that is the amenity and how much of that is dictated by the marketplace itself. One new trend that's uh, that's coming is just trying to make the condo more of a community. Because some condos or apartment buildings, they can't keep up with all these pools and race car simulators and uh, rock climbing walls or hot tubs that they're trying to find a different way to stand out. And in fact, there are two buildings, I think they're about two kilometers from each other in Calgary. They're affected on the same street. And both of them have what is effectively the same thing where it's uh, a lifestyle concierge, where the person's job is to, in effect, help people within the building make friends. Because with uh, with condos or with rental units, people are there's a lot of turnover. Like people might stay for a year, they might stay for two years, and whether it's for a, a condo owner who's trying to keep a a rent around longer, or if it's an apartment building trying to keep tenants around longer, they found that having friends in the building is absolutely vital to having people stay around longer. So they actually have a concierge whose job is to run events, help people meet each other in the lobby essentially make friends in the building and it's 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 always nice to have you know some sort of community within your building but there's also the added bonus of if people make friends i think the one uh, one developer told me if you have one friend in the building you're 30% less likely to or rather you're 30% more likely to renew if you have two friends in the building it goes higher and if you have three friends in the building you're almost likely going to stay you're almost definitely going to stay where is the eventual um, end game for this stuff? Where does it go from here? Uh, will new buildings that are being developed now continue to add more and more of these until everything you could possibly need is inside your condo, especially since nobody goes outside right now anyway? That, in some areas, it's definitely turned into that. There's a, in Burnaby, BC, there's a Metro Town, which is a, a forthcoming multi tower project which is going to have a 66,000 square foot, they call it Sky Park, that has poolside barrel saunas, a conservatory, outdoor work pods, a yoga lawn, a tea house, a running track that lights up at night. So I think when you, uh, when you get to these mega projects, really the, uh, the sky is the limit in terms of what these folks are thinking to stand out. On top of that, it's a new, it's a new demographic of people living in condos as well now. You have more families or people with babies or young children. So you're trying to find ways to accommodate a, a different type of uh, uh, clientele, so to speak. Things that accommodate um, baby strollers and how to take care of kids. Or even when they're toddlers. I, there's one condo coming up in Toronto that has a gym that has kind of a glass door 
next to a playroom so that parents can actually get a workout and still see their kid in the playroom next door. So trying to accommodate that. So I think in a few years, they'll probably be trying to find ways to accommodate maybe teenagers who live in condos because we really don't know what will uh, be the age demographic of those living inside. But when you talk about what the, the knock-on effect is, it, uh, it changes the city. It really does. Well, this is the part that I'm most fascinated by, kind of beyond um, the really interesting things that are going into condos and the marketing of them and stuff is, is the way that impacts the neighborhood around them. And, you know, city services like pools and libraries um, rely on the number of people using them to set their funding for the next year. And, you know, I remember living in a condo right downtown with – both a library and a community center and a dog park all right next door. And it was an old building, so it didn't have any of those things in the building. So everybody in that 1,500-unit apartment was out and about and, you know, going through the turnstiles of those city services, for want of a better word. And, you know, then when tax time comes, you realize that you actually got something for your money. And, um, like, that's that's what I wonder about the end game is, you know, does it make it impossible for people who aren't of means enough to afford one of these condos to live in a downtown that feels like a neighborhood? Yeah, as much as we talk about condos being more affordable than a house, which they absolutely are, the, the target market still is people in their 30s, 40s, affluent, able-bodied people. That, based on the advertising you see, that appears to be the target market. When you get into the, the, the luxury market, a lot of these companies are targeting, targeting people who they call Henry, which is an acronym for high earner, not rich yet, was essentially people born in the 1980s or 1990s who make more than 100000 And when they uh, survey these people, what they wanted, I mean, they wanted nice finishes, they wanted a good location, but a majority of them said that luxury is defined by amenities. So as long as that's the case then these companies are going to try and stand out with the best amenities because that is what their target market wants. What's worth more uh, to marketers and developers? You know, a, a flashy amenities in the condo or a real feeling of a functioning uh, flashy neighborhood like, say, a downtown Toronto or a Vancouver? I think it's really trying to find a way to, to balance both because if you have a dud of a neighborhood, then you're not going to really attract as many people. But you still want the uh, the building to be as nice as possible. And as uh, sometimes as silly as it sounds, like some of the times it's not the flashiest amenities that even are the most sought after nowadays. Because especially with the with the pandemic and even before the pandemic, uh, there was just such a lead to online delivery and now online grocery delivery that these condos have to just make room for delivery spaces or even refrigerated delivery spaces. Like those are just empty rooms. So they have to try to accommodate that. So this isn't flashy or nice, but that is something that is practical and doesn't really take away. Does it take away from the the life of the city? Yeah, if you have an online delivery, it you know it takes away from people walking out and getting their own groceries or you know, shopping on their own. But at the same time, especially the the impacts of COVID, I mean, who really knows what's going to happen? But they're really responding to what what people want. I mean, they're leading the way and they're also responding. And it's tough to say exactly what's uh what's going to happen to such a downtown cores as a result of condos or as a result of as a result of what's going to happen once uh, once this pandemic ends it'll be fascinating to see thank you Aaron for uh, talking us through it a little bit 
No problem. Aaron Hutchins of McLean's. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You know the drill by now. You can email us. We read every last one. Thebigstorypodcast at rci.rogers.com. And of course, we would appreciate your rating and your review and your follow or subscription or whatever it is your app does that lets you see our episodes every day. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.